0: On this episode of the Pats Podcast, we're seeing if we have what it takes to call 911. Stick around. Let's be better athletic trainers. Before we begin, I'd like to thank today's sponsor, Rothman Orthopedics, for their support of Pats and athletic trainers in the state of Pennsylvania. For more information, please visit them at www.rothmanortho.com. Ted, thank you so much for being on the show today.
1: Thanks for having me, Phil. I'm super excited to do this.
0: So Ted and I met back uh, when uh, he was a director at Cranberry Township EMS. Uh, we were setting up an on-ice hockey program uh, for proficiencies and protocols uh, for the new ice facility, and uh, we had some really good experiences, and I thought it would be awesome to kind of share some of the stuff that we've done um, and really focus on um, how to set up EMS coverage for um, for your school, if you're a new venue, new um, organization organization a uh, new event, uh, what to expect and some of the uh, things that EMS would want from us and what we need, we need from EMS to uh, make sure everything is taken care of. Um, so before we start, um, Ted, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, where you went to school, uh, where do you work and how you got into being a paramedic?
1: Yeah, certainly. So I've been a paramedic now, uh, I think this is year 23, I'm going on, it'll be in July that I've been on orders. And my route to EMS was a little bit different than most. Um, I actually had no intentions of being an EMS. Uh, But when I was in my younger days, I joined the volunteer fire department at 18. Really liked it. Got all into it, and I started looking for jobs down south. And a lot of them down south they do both fire and EMS. So I was working at Walmart at the time. So I figured uh, it would probably look better if I was worked for at least a little bit as an EMT before I went to apply for these jobs. So I got a job at Cranberry. I saw an ad in the local paper. So date myself a little bit. And went in on an an interview and my interview, like most EMS interviews back then was well, can you start Monday? Sure, I guess. (laughs) Never, Never been on a truck before outside of a couple ride alongs during my EMT training, which was I think a whopping three months back then. So uh, it, it was like a virus, though. The, the more I did it, the more I came to love it, and moved further and further away from fire to where I, I couldn't imagine doing anything else. So along the way, um, I did. I went, got my undergrad back in 2013. I graduated from the Great University of Pittsburgh. Nice. And I have a Bachelor's of Science in Emergency Medicine, and then in 20, I got my graduate degree. I got my MBA. And uh, I actually recently left the EMS field full time. I still work part-time as a paramedic for Cranberry, but I now work for Zoll Medical as the manager of clinical services for their cardiac monitoring division.
0: That's awesome. So you're taking what you you learned as an EMT and um, sending it towards another uh, portion of the industry.
1: Absolutely, I mean, my EMS experiences have helped mold me and have taught me so much about what to do and sometimes what not to do, that I, I'm able to put that into play. And it, it's definitely a different world and a new adventure, but it's enjoyable.
0: Awesome. So now let's let's get your em hat EMS hat back on as a um, I guess as a chief company director um, for someone just starting out and looking for a new service provider. What are some of the Different coverage models that you've um, you've seen or have provided um, to kind of get a, get an idea of you know how to approach EMS.
1: Yeah, so I mean, it's definitely been interesting what I've seen over 23 years because it used to be a lot of the places where the trainers are now, are now were done by EMS. Whether it was usually just an EMT in a bag, and we were just there in case anything went catastrophically wrong basically uh, life-threatening emergency because we don't have the experience nor the training to do what the trainers do when it comes to treating injuries and helping correct some of the things and all the crazy stuff you guys do with tape and ice and all that fun stuff so I've definitely seen a a big shift and it needed to be done because EMS has suffered right now there aren't enough providers to go around so doing those midget football games every Saturday from 6 a.m. till 8 p.m., it's no longer possible to be done by Yuma. So th- it's been interesting to, to see that shift. And like I said, I don't think it was for the worse either when, when it comes to that. Because, I mean, typically that's all it was, was, hey, I need you to show up at this field at this time. Here's a bag. And then you sat there in your lawn chair and we, we didn't have iPhones then. So you actually had to watch the game, but that's a different topic. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, that's been the major shift to where you know, now we see this cross section where our paths cross a lot more than they ever used to because there were no trainers and now trainers have taken over a lot of the events where EMS is still there. And it's good because you, you guys have your role there. And like I said, you're there to treat the routine sports injuries, get them back on the field as possible. And then we're there in case anything goes wrong and that we need further care and more of the life-threatening side.
0: So where should an athletic trainer start when they're trying to set up um, an EMS service for an event? Do you normally see it come from the organization level or more from the practitioner, the the athletic training level?
1: No, it's definitely been in my experience. It usually comes from the organization level.
0: Now, go ahead, sorry.
1: I was going to say, so we were fortunate enough actually how you and I met with, well, the start of it was uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins opened up their new training facility. I think it was 2014-ish up in Cranberry where I worked and I happened to be the deputy chief. And, um, you know, that was a whole new world for us because up until that point, other than doing the midget football, we didn't really have a whole lot of sports we had to stand by for because the high school wasn't in our territory we weren't getting any of those school sports like the other EMS services do. So uh, I wanted to learn as much as I could about it. Because like I said, I had up until that point, and I was already almost 15 years into my EMS career at that time, had very little to no interaction with athletic training. So I wanted to learn more because I had an idea of what you guys did, but like, not exactly.
0: Okay. Um. So now based on that experience, cause, uh, a lot of times, like when I was, uh, so when I was a floater going to all the schools, it was usually the athletic director or the, uh, program directors that were setting up EMS. Um, and I thought it was very beneficial when we started working together, we were having what we were having about what, what monthly meetings and just kind of meeting, and get to know the guys, um, interacting, talking about protocols, um, and logistics were, were a huge thing, um, what let's talk. Let's move on to a little bit of logistics. Um, what what are some of the essentials EMTs need on site to most effectively do their job? As far as communication variables, uh, patient variables, uh, transport variables, things like that.
1: Yes, I mean obviously the big thing, and it's interesting, is we've seen a big shift over probably the last five years because it used to be everybody got spine boarded to now. Nobody gets spine boarded, so I'm not sure how it is for you guys in athletic training. But uh, with that, I mean that that's still our our number one role there, and that's our number one concern. And unfortunately, we've seen that play out a couple of times over the last couple of years with some of the major sports. Even uh, Ryan Shazier comes to mind, where we're still seeing these spinal injuries. So while it's definitely been downplayed outside of the athletic world, it's something every EMS provider should have with them at the very least a C color, if not a full immobilization set to be able to have that prepared there. I mean, the other big thing is ice. One of the big differences though, where EMS and athletic training definitely verge far away is like I said, we're, we're trained to treat the life-threatening injuries. So your typical sprains and those type of things that go with athletics, We are very ill prepared for i mean we can put ice on it and and that's about it immobilize if needed you know we don't know how to manipulate the tendons and the muscles and the bones and get things back to where they're going like that that's not part of our training ours is more life-threatening emergency care which is the root of where emt and paramedics come from
0: let's let's go back a little bit to that spine boarding thing because that that was probably my favorite part of um our interactions together was talking about your protocols, what uh, Cranberry Township EMS required of their paramedics based on the type of injury, and then working with us as athletic trainers where you know, we're used to dealing with the equipment. Um, obviously, if we're working hockey, we're, we're used to being on the ice and walking around on there. And going the, the back and forth between you and I and the rest of our teams as to, you know, when are we going to spine board? What, what is the gold standard? Because hockey really didn't have a lot of research um, going on with the equipment and the helmets like football did back in 2014, 2018. And um, it was I, – I, I thought the experience was really great to have your team out. We got a bunch of gear and a bunch of spine boards. We had a crew of athletic trainers, a crew of EMTs, both uh, uh, paramedics and um, intermediates. And we just – we spent, what, like two, three hours on the ice – Uh, Cranberry got us, um, the Lemieux Center got us a few hours on the ice during an off-peak time, and we just, we went through it. We were like, okay, let's get a scenario. We were mid-ice. How are we going to get, um, how are we going to get EMT on the ice? Are we going to get the whole gurney out on the ice, or are we going to try to use like a toboggan or a sled and drag them off? And it was just going through to figure out what worked within everybody's policies. We had our ethic trainer wise, we had a discussion with our overseeing physicians about what they would like to see. They weren't there, unfortunately. Um, and then we kind of just went through the different scenarios, practiced, and found something that worked for us that met everybody's protocols so that, you know, if something happened on the ice, we had already talked about it. We had already rehearsed it, um, whether or not, um, the EMTs uh, that you sent had been at that session. You still had people there um, who were, they, they were some of your higher level guys, the ones that did some of the training and things like that, right? Mm-hmm.
1: And, yeah, I think we had sent a couple of the crew chiefs over.
0: And, and we were able to get that plan, get it documented. Um, and we even produced a few uh, videos um, for you guys to use in training sessions. And then uh, UPMC took those and, made an awesome program for the undergraduate programs and all the other local EMS in the area um, as well as athletic trainers whoever uh, wanted to be part of it we opened it up so that was that was kind of cool um, super effective too
1: yeah so I mean going back I mean e- e- even further when, when you know you and I first talk, started talking and we talked about this a little bit before we started the cast was like you know, it used to be athletic trainer stayed on their side, EMS stayed on their side, and then never the two shall meet except for, oh, no, there's a catastrophic emergency on the field. That That's not the way for anyone to be introducing themselves in the middle of an emergency. So kind of going along with the spine boarding. So once again, EMS and athletic training don't merge in those areas. So our, our job is all about speed and efficiency. Get the patient loaded, get them to the hospital. You know, in trauma, we have an EMS, it's called the golden hour, which means if we can get that patient to the operating table within one hour of the injury, the risk of death is quite low. That's not how athletic training works, though. It's all about taking your time, making sure everything is done correctly, done right. Whereas, you know, EMS is just like, all right, let's throw him on the backboard, throw him on the stretcher, let's go. So that was definitely a culture clash when we did come together on that because we needed to slow down. You guys had to pick it up a little bit yep. and we met in the middle. And that was the key to make sure everything was done. I,
0: think I mean, we're... the
1: other big thing, so I know you guys go back and forth on this about helmet removal, yep. whereas in EMS, it's essential to remove the helmet or at least the face piece because we have to have access to that airway in case anything were to go wrong. So that way we can get oxygen back into the patients. That's one of our primary concerns. the ABCs, airway, breathing, circulation when it comes to EMS. So like I said, once again, it was coming to a mutual understanding there about where you guys were coming from versus where we are to get to that set protocol.
0: Yep. And in, in maintaining that, that neutral stabilization, that. Or neutral positioning, maintaining um, access to the airway while still um, properly immobilizing, um, mm-hmm. or not—it's not immobilizing. It's more of a, like motion restriction, because you can't yes. fully immobilize our spines, and um, and getting them to that definitive medical care. Because in the field, yeah, we can sustain. We we cannot. Um, what's what's happened wrong i mean the the only thing that we're going to do out on the ice out on the field is just maintain their current condition and try as best we can not to make it worse until they can get to definitive medical care and have people and equipment and the resources to actually um help them
1: absolutely
0: and one of the one of the big things that came out of this and this was about the time the nata put out um, the resource is, you know, the, the whole timeout before, before an event, the medical timeout. And you were a huge part in developing the, the medical timeout cards uh, that, that we um, have been providing out to the athletic trainers in the area. And on that, you know, what, what did we talk about? We talked about, like, who we were, if we had a team doc, what their specialties were, and what we were going to do in the case of an emergency, whether um, it's a hey, first, how do we signal that we need your help? Are you going to come out with us whenever we you see us grab C spine, or is there going to be a signal or an indication that, that you guys need to come out and help us out? Um, and then after that, you know, what's the local protocol? Would you guys have to do to maintain your uh, med med command, and what we need to do to maintain our or to um, to maintain our overseeing physicians SOP for how we practice? and get that patient to the uh, best care possible. And, you know, where is that? You know, why would we go to Pittsburgh Children's Hospital or UPMC Children's Hospital or go to one of the local community hospitals in the area that's closer? What would, what would dictate one versus the other? And, and I think that really kind of set it out in all my interactions, especially when I'm not like the one that's at the site the whole time um, or all the time and, and know the EMS and I'm going in as, Hey, I'm the new guy. I'm, I, you don't know who I am. This is a really good icebreaker to, to really kind of, um, get that interprofessional relationship, uh, going.
1: Absolutely. I mean, it was like I said, it was all about, you know, breaking that barrier and getting away from, all right, you stay on your side, I'll stay on mine and never the two shall meet and like opening up that communication. So that way, Number one, the first time you met this person wasn't in the middle of the field when this kid had a broken neck. It was starting those conversations early and letting them know because, I mean, I've been on sidelines over my career where, you know, e- EMS didn't even know they were needed out on the field till we started hearing folks up in the stands yelling, hey, medics, medics, they need you. Like, that's not the way to do it. Nope. So it was all about, hey, let's meet beforehand. Let's talk this, through. let me know, like, hey, if. My arms raised, that means I need you in the stretcher and all your backboard stuff. And it's having those communications and talks beforehand so that there isn't that miscommunication when we're out there on the field.
0: So now let's say um, we have an EMT or a paramedic or an athletic trainer that, you know, there is a difference of opinion, you know, after we've gone through all of the pre-planning, all the communication, but, you know, there's a difference in opinion on how, some of the minutia of the uh, the scene should be handled. Um, what what do you think is the best way that these two professionals can interact to come to that mutual during an, during an emergency when you know anxiety's high, adrenaline's high, and time is of the essence?
1: So I think it comes back to like we said. It comes back to doing the the medical timeouts, doing the introductions pregame, but even go further than that joint trainings working together on these to work out these issues. So we're because at the end of the day, we're both there for the same reason. We want to give the best care to that patient and get them to where they need to go. So it all comes down to having these conversations early and often. So that way, that's how we avoid those. incidents. because you're right, when the adrenaline's high and we're out there on the field for the first time doing our interactions, there's going to be just because, like I said, the way we do things and the way athletic trainers do things are two different ways because ours is all about speed. Let's get them to the hospital.
0: One thing I always like to, um, to bring up in the programs that I teach is think of your ultimate goal. What, what is your ultimate goal in this situation and what are the barriers in place? Um, so from an athletic training point of view with a different EMS protocol than w- what we would necessarily be used to, um, is what the other professional recommending or suggesting going to be detrimental to your athlete's well-being to the patient's ultimate goal of getting them to a um, advanced medical facility and getting care if it doesn't then does it exactly matter that it's done 100% the way that you want it meet halfway if it's more important for timing okay let's let's find a way to get the helmet off safely so that we can work with the MS protocol to get them to the receiving facility. Because ultimately, once they're off the ice, they're in somebody else's um, responsibility and under their uh, overseeing physician. So they they need to be able to practice and operate the way they need to, um, to best care for the patient.
1: Absolutely. And that's it at the end of the day is remember, we're all there for the same thing. And that is that athletics well-being you need to put the egos aside we need to do what's best in the name of patient care so you know that. i did want to hit on one topic that you did talk about with the hospitals and i like to even when i was out doing ppr events i would do this because the hospitals never do that but there is throughout the country this common misconception that a hospital is a hospital and that is not the case so there are often times where we will bypass the closest hospital. So we had one in Cranberry. I'll just use that as an instance, since that's where I served for all these years. And it was a small community hospital, very limited capabilities. So I remember when we first started doing events over at the Lemieux Center uh, that that they would say, all right, you know, if anything happens, we should go to Cranberry. And we had to push back on that and be like, no, that's not in the best interest of the patient, because especially if we're talking about a pediatric patient, We already knew because we see it play out every day that we would take them to Cranberry. They would get minimal care there because they have limited capabilities. And then they would just ship them down to Children's. So why not just bypass that three hours that that patient would be in the ER? And let's just take them to Children's right off the bat. So that's an important thing to understand is the closest hospital is not always going to be the most appropriate.
0: Exactly. And then you got to think of how do you get them there? Is it going to be by land, air, or other means? So that was that's always a topic for another day, which um, might be fun to do if uh, our listeners are interested. Let us know in the comments. Um, maybe we can get uh, some of the um, the aircraft um, medics on and and talk about that because I know you've coordinated some of those with the search and rescues before.
1: Uh huh. Absolutely, we we brought on the technology and. Had the uh, stat stat Medevac coming in and help us search for a person.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Well, um, I guess let's let's summarize this a little bit. Uh, if your organization is setting up uh, our EMS coverage, you know, it's it's super beneficial to reach out to that company, and and talk to them, invite them into your preseason training, or ask if you can come give a presentation to the EMS and just open up that line of communication, open up, um, that, that interprofessional relationships and, um, really, really work together with our other professionals. Cause ultimately they're going helping us out as athletic trainers. I can't do what you guys can do. I can't get them to the hospital. Um, I can't start an airway, God forbid, if it's needed. Um, is, is much, yeah, and we
1: can't do what you guys do. So
0: exactly. So it's all it's, we're all together. on the same team here. Yeah. So, all right. Um, how about lightning round Ooh, all Are you right. ready for this? So if you're not already in it, what is your dream job?
1: So my dream job would be not a job at all. And just being able to do what I want when I want. So I'm only 43. I got a lot to go, but I'm very much looking forward to retirement.
0: <laughs> what do you do for fun? Speak about retirement.
1: So this is what it, now somehow I could make this into my dream job. This would be the way to go. So we have a uh, boat and a jeep. So I like to have fun on land and sea. So I love spending time out on the water. Uh, We boat out here on the Beaver and Ohio River. I'm fortunate to have here. And then when we're not doing that, uh, we like taking the Jeep up to Jeep Fest and hitting the trails and going through the mud, the puddles. That's my idea of fun. Now, if I could make that a job somehow, I'd be on board.
0: (laughs) That would be you and me both, you and me both. If you can figure it out, (laughs) hire me in.
1: (laughs) You got it, Phil.
0: What inspires you? Where do you get your inspiration from?
1: So, I mean, it all came down. It was even with this athletic training stuff was I have four kids. So a little bit older than when you and I first met Phil. Unfortunately, that's what kids do. But uh, my, he's now 15, but he's been playing hockey since, since he was five. It's doing what I can to make the world a better place for them. So, I mean, it's things like, you know, that you and I did when it came to, you know, meeting together and providing better care to in this case, it, it was hockey patients, but it, it did go over to other sports as well. It was, you know, making the world a better place to leave our children. That's what inspires me. I,
0: I think every parent here has the same feeling for you. Every everyone. <laughs> yeah,
1: it, it's funny how what inspires you though, it changes, I think, by the different decades you hit.
0: Oh my gosh, yes. It,
1: that was not what inspired me at 20. At 20, it was a six-pack.
0: <laughs> and so last question. We're going to change it up a little bit for our resident paramedic here. What is an athletic trainer to you?
1: So, like, I, I mean, we, we've hit up on this cast the whole time. It's a teammate. Like I said, you guys do things that we can't do. We do things you can't do for the majority of what goes on during any sports events like that, that falls in your territory. And it's not until we hit a certain threshold where it becomes critical or life-threatening that EMS should really be involved, but those two need to work together. So that, that's what I see in athletic training. It's a partner.
0: That's awesome. I, that is, that is absolutely perfect. Um, you took the words right out of my mouth and I absolutely love that, that answer. So thank you. Well, Ted, it has been awesome to chat with you. And I want to say thank you for taking the time out of your busy Saturday morning and share this experience with us. Um, if our viewers want to reach out to you, if they have any questions, um, I'd like to encourage them to, to um, leave comments in the video if you're watching this on YouTube. Um, but if they're, if they're listening to it on like the podcast channels, um, Apple, Spotify, wherever we're at, is there any way they can reach out to you if they have any questions
1: yeah, I mean, the best way is my email, which is my first name, last name, and g- gmail.com is the best way to get a hold of me. And I'm, I'll talk about this stuff all day because I love sports. I love EMS. It's the perfect intersection.
0: Awesome. That's awesome. And if anybody wants to reach out to me, talk about the experience that I've had in the uh, the programs we've done here in Pittsburgh, go ahead. Um, you guys know how to get a hold of me. Um, and I'd like to thank uh, Rockman Orthopedics for their sponsorship of this episode. And um, on behalf of Adam, who could not make it this morning, um, we'd like to thank our listeners for tuning in. And remember to like, subscribe, tweet, post, comment, DM, share, everything about that on on social media. And until next time, on behalf of Adam Richmond, I'm Philip Hensler, and this was a Pats Podcast.